Good morning. This is the QTR podcast. Today's podcast, like all my podcasts, is brought to you by. I've got the fucking fan on. I got to turn it off. Hold on. Ah, oh, that's much better. You can probably hear me better now. Great, nice, professional introduction this morning. Most podcasts get better as they go along with time and more professional. Mine gets worse. So thank you for being a part of something special. This podcast brought to you by my friends over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is my exclusive gold and silver provider. It is the only place that I buy my gold and silver. They have been in business for a decade now. They've done over $3 billion in sales. They ship and turn around my orders very quickly. I love them. They have been a huge supporter of the podcast for a long time. My friends over at JM Bullion. If you're interested in buying gold or silver bullion, you can always reach out to the lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. You can also go to jmbullion.com. Their information is in my podcast description. I love those guys. So if you need gold or silver bullion, that is the place to go. And the only place that I have ordered from over the last couple of years, at least since they've been supporting the podcast. I was happy to have them come on. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Doomberg. Doomberg is one of my new favorite sub stacks. You can subscribe 100% free and not like free now and it won't be free tomorrow. Like it's free. You go on and get all their work for free. Their link is in my podcast description. You can follow them on Twitter at DoombergT. Doomberg uh, kind of looks at the markets the same way we do from a skeptical perspective. They are critical of a lot of the same things we are, except they're a lot better versed. They're a lot well versed. They're better well versed. Oh, it's going to be a long one today. They're better versed. They know more shit than I do. All right. This is what happens. When I try to talk fancy. I wind up sounding like an idiot. If I just talk like I normally talk, everything's fine. They know a lot of shit. They know shit I don't know. End of story. Thank you. Speaking of which, so does George Gammon, another supporter of the podcast, with his wonderful platform, Rebel Capitalist Pro. The link to that is in my podcast description. George has teamed up with Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh and Brent Johnson to do live question and answer sessions like several times a week. They have a great forum where they discuss all things investing and preserving your wealth in a world of out of control central banks. George can be found right now probably in a club somewhere in Miami in a nice suit driving an expensive car. The dude's a baller. He's like a modern day James Bond. I love him. You love him. Give George Gammon your business. This podcast also brought to you by my brother Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. Oh, shit. Hold on. (coughs) (coughs) Oh, you can't even sneeze anymore. I feel like a criminal. Lock me up. Are there people outside the door watching? He sneezed. That's right. He sneezed. Bust the fucking door down. Are you wearing a mask, sir? Oh, my God. Uh, Anyways... Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus have come together to brought ye blah, 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 blah. I should just fucking give up. I really should. Have come together to bring you the Steam Room, which is one of the best ways for tracking illiquid options flow that then will help you predicate moves in the larger equities market. It can sometimes. It's not a guarantee. But a lot of times, if somebody knows something, there's a little bit of action in the options market before it happens in the regular market. And a piece of software like the Steam Room can help you see exactly where that kind of money, that kind of flow would be going in a situation like that. Uh, I love the Steam Room and I love Sang Lucci. I think they're great people to do business with and I highly recommend checking them out. The link to them is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer. 
Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, Camila Soul. Thank you guys so much for continuing to be patrons of the podcast. Patrons of the podcast are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support my cause. I don't really know what my cause is yet, uh, but that means that you're wonderful for doing so because if you don't know what you're supporting and I don't know what I'm supporting, then at that point, it's just uh, you're just giving me your money, which I appreciate. At least I admit it. <laughs> at least I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass. I, rep- I want to save the fucking koala bears. I don't want to do that. I just want to talk some shit, and then I want to go about my day. Before that, I want to just shout out some patrons that just signed up uh, to support the podcast, like Abinash Panda. Thank you so much, Richard. Richard Christopher Southwell. Thank you very much for your support. I really genuinely appreciate it. Felipe F. Daniel Richard II, John Sturdivant, Benjamin Krog, Victor Ramirez, and Steve Gould. Thank you. Howard and John Roberts, David Driesen, Nomad Above and Beyond, still with me with Mark Wilcox and Philip McCrevis. I appreciate you still. Gregory Endress and some patrons that have been with me for a little while, like John Fiorella, David Matson, Gabriel Steuben, Richard Heath, Nick Neefsey. Thank you so much. Bobby Brooks, what's up? Brother, I appreciate you still. And finally, the death of rats, Justin Vaccaro and James Curian. Thank you so much for your continued support. I am not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice. I know nothing. So please, I hold no licenses, no registrations with the SEC, with FINRA. Find yourself a financial professional. If you have questions, you really shouldn't be listening to anything that I have to say, with the exception of my sponsorship. As long as you listen to the stuff about my sponsors, I don't really care. Somebody sent me a message or a review the other day. They're like, what a huckster. (laughs) I can't listen to this huckster. Too much stuff at the beginning of the podcast. I'm like, I think all podcasts have ads at this point. It's like, at least I do you guys the favor of not interrupting the middle of the podcast with the ad, because I fucking hate when that happens. I put on a podcast I want to listen to, like, before I go to sleep, and then, like, seven minutes later, I have five minutes of ads that I can't get through. Yes, I'm talking to you, Joe Rogan on Spotify. Put this shit at the beginning so I can skip through it all. I don't need to hear about fucking, you know, liquid IV for the 9,000th time. Although I'm sure it's a great product. And by the way, if you want to advertise on my show, Liquid IV, I'd be more than happy to have you. (laughs) Uh, It's just a cash grab, folks. That's why I'm here. All right. Anyways, uh, there's a three drink minimum for this podcast. We got a lot of shit I want to cover today. You know, the last couple of podcasts that I've done have been interviews, at least the last one I had Jack Berugin on last week. And so there were a lot of things that I wanted to go back and talk about that I haven't talked about since, uh, really, let me see, like November fucking 11th, I think was the last time I did a rant of a podcast. So let's talk about what is new. Uh, on November 19th, I wrote a an article on my blog, Fringe Finance. By the way, the link to that is in my podcast description. This article is up there for free, so it doesn't cost you anything to read it. It's called COVID is Over If You Want It. And basically, uh, you know, we're heading into the holiday season here. And what I thought would be nice for everybody is if we just kind of forgot about COVID for a couple of weeks. Is that possible? You know, I'm not really sure that it is. I mean, I think it's possible if you turn off the fucking television and you turn off the media and you stop listening to people, you know, out on the bike trail that are wearing three masks like they are here in Philadelphia along the Schuylkill. This morning I was out running and I saw some people giving me dirty looks because uh, maybe I was unmasked. I don't know. And they, they were masked. And it's not like there was that many people out there. It's fucking 35 degrees here. 
Regardless, uh, you know, what I wrote about in this article was it has been an exhausting two years mentally for everybody. You know, let's just forget about politicization of this virus here for a second. Right of the aisle, left of the aisle, whatever, you know, what? no matter what cause you've been advocating for. If you're on the right, you've been advocating for, hey, the government's overreaching. If you're on the left, you've been walking around panicking that not everybody is vaccinated and, you know, vaccines aren't being uh, mandated at gunpoint. Whatever your beef is, can you just let it go for a couple of weeks? You know, this year, I was thinking about what it's going to be like to return to somewhat of a tradition uh, with my family on Christmas. You know, we returned to somewhat of a tradition on Thanksgiving, and I think that's kind of what had me a little emotional, uh, I would say, in November. Emotional enough to write about this, because last year was very different, and it wasn't just different for me. It was different for a lot of families, and a lot of traditions, you know... It's interesting because COVID kind of fell at the intersection of a lot of changes in my family, too. So a lot of people got married. A lot of people had kids. Um, You know, some of the elder statesmen of our family passed away over the last couple of years. And so our traditions kind of uh, changed because of that. But then here comes COVID. And all of a sudden, 2020 comes and goes. And Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas and I'm sure whatever holidays you celebrate were different for you guys as well. Uh, as they were for me. And so, you know, this year, and look, it, it wasn't because of me. It was because I have family that wants to take precautions, right? And I respect that. I'm fine with that. I don't have beef if you want to do whatever you want to do. Get vaccinated, wear a mask, take precautions. I'm all for your right to do whatever you want. Just stay away from telling me what I have to do. Regardless, what I was kind of stoked on this year was a return to like a semi-normal Thanksgiving this year. And uh, it's great being around family members again. It was, uh, we had a wonderful time. We did what was important. You know, we didn't have the the full family gathering, the big traditional Thanksgiving that we used to have. But we had the, you know, we had more than one person there, which was fantastic. And we ate well and we drank well. And I was just thinking that, you know, it was just a wonderful, uh, and I think I wrote this before Thanksgiving, that this is just going to be a a wonderful chance to return to some sense of normalcy for people. And, of course, right now it's difficult because, and I I wrote this uh, before the Omicron variant came out, I think. I think this was like the next week people started to flip out about the Omicron variant, but it doesn't change anything at all. Look, they found that the Omicron variant is more transmissible, but likely less severe. Okay. You know, okay. What does that mean? It means that if you didn't give a shit about COVID before, you shouldn't give a shit now. That's, that's what it means. I mean, I'm not a doctor, right? But I mean, if you didn't give a shit about the Delta variant and this one is more transmissible, but less harmful or slightly less harmful, whatever, you know, as as far you can call me a dick, but to me, transmissibility is not that big of a deal, um, you know, and, you know, I'm not saying that because, oh, well, you know, you're 38, so you're not worried about it, you know, and like, you know, it's not because of that. It's because a year and a half ago, I just kind of already assumed that everybody was going to get COVID and it was going to be endemic. You know, I think anybody that has you know, if anybody has set unrealistic expectations, it's been the government who has told us that vaccines would wipe the thing out. 
um, you know, that, that, that this would be like some kind of sterilizing vaccine. And so you have all these people on, uh, you know, certain ends of the spectrum that are freaking out now that the, you know, COVID hasn't gone away and they think it's the fault of people, uh, you know, that have chosen to not wear three masks or have chosen to not get booster shots after getting vaccinated or whatever. But the point is, it's going to be here and we just kind of have to accept that it's going to be here. I got into that frame of mind a long time ago. Now, granted, I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm not immunocompromised. You know, I'm in relatively good health. I'm younger. So for me, and also, you know, from a mental health risk reward, uh, years ago, I did away with worrying about a lot of things because it's just not worth it. It doesn't get you anywhere. Um, But that was a big problem of mine for a while. I used to worry about anything and everything at all times. So when confronted with something like this for a person like me, it definitely makes more sense not to worry about it than it would be to expend the energy, you know, and deal with COVID when you get it, right? I've gotten it twice now, you know, and I deal with it, you know, knocked me out for a day or two. It wasn't that bad. I kept running, you know, I kept working out for me. I mean, it was, it was a rough ride. I could see how, you know, for some people it would be really difficult Um, you know, I didn't feel great. It didn't feel good going out and running. Um, probably shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyways. Uh, you know, and I continued to kind of like work and, you know, hang out. And a friend of mine also had COVID around the same time. And so, uh, you know, I was able to help take care of them at the time. Uh, and so we kind of commiserated together. Um, so I wasn't completely knocked out, but the point of the matter is, you know, it's going to be here. It's going to be endemic. And heading into the holiday season, I think the potential reward for as much as it's appropriate for you to revert back to tradition and revert revert back to family, revert back to whatever made the holidays special for you. I don't know what it was. If you celebrate fucking Dwali or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, I don't know what you guys do. I mean, we celebrate Christmas in my family, but just say the holidays in general, the holidays in the new year, the month of December and heading into 2022. It's a great time to kind of exhale and gift yourself some peace mentally and some freedom mentally. You know, the psychological burden of this pandemic is has really been ridiculous over the last two years. And you can argue it's warranted or not warranted. I don't care. Fine. You want to say it was warranted? I'll agree with you there. All right. Even though I don't agree with you. But let's just say you're right. It's still a great time to try to get it off your mind and get back to what's important. So whatever it is you're listening to, whether it's fucking Rachel Maddow or it's Tucker Carlson, turn it the fuck off. All right. Spend a couple weeks buying some gifts for people. Do something nice for other people. It'll make you feel wonderful. And revert to your tradition and to what's important as much as is appropriate. Your friends, your family, your food, your drink, your community, your church, whatever it is that's important to you. Get back to it. You know, we can't be so worried about staying alive that we forget to live. So I feel like this holiday is a great time to kind of revert back to living. Even if January 2nd you want to come back out and fucking throw three masks on and, you know, start wearing again and freak out, you know, just calm down for a couple of weeks. And that was the point of this post that I wrote back in November. It's called COVID is over if you want it. It's it's an homage to the song War is Over if you want it. uh, Or uh, I think it's called Happy Xmas 
by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Ugh. I don't know how she got on the credits to this song, but we'll just say John Lennon. <laughs> Probably did most of the heavy lifting, just a guess. <laughs> I'll read you a little piece of what I wrote in this piece. To me, it feels like the nation is on the verge of collectively exhaling after what can only be described as a physically arduous and psychologically burdensome 24 months. We've lost some family and friends. We're all a couple years older. Our perspectives have shifted. Yet, if you're reading this, you're one of the billions of members of the human race relentlessly marching forward. So fucking pat yourself on the back for that. Together, we have dealt with an assault on our senses for nearly two years. And this holiday season, it's time to just let that shit go. Worse than the virus itself has been the continued incessant reminders to get vaccinated, two-faced Mask requirements from hypocritical politicians, spurious and useless mandates in individuals and businesses who suffered personal or economic losses. The psychological toll from COVID easily rivals, if not surpasses, the physical toll we have paid. And why wouldn't it? Every day the mainstream media brutalizes us with new sensationalist claims about how COVID is waiting around the corner with a gun getting ready to shoot us in the face in our own homes if we do something as meaningless as use a one-way door labeled exit to enter a building. And that's really the truth. You know, I think the, the interesting thing is, I think as I was writing this, I was starting to feel a collective sense of relief heading into the holidays too. I was starting to feel like, wow, I'm not the only one that feels like this. And sure enough, dialed right up, you know, a week later, we got the Omicron variant. And the Omicron variant became this big, huge fucking deal. It's in South Africa, and it is Ebola, and it's waiting to kill you instantly. And don't touch the Omicron variant, and we don't know anything about it. And oh wait, actually, it turns out it's more transmissible, but it's not quite as deadly as other variants. Life goes on. The beat goes on. We heard about it with the Delta variant. Everybody was flipping out with the Delta variant. Yeah, the Delta variant's a different story. It's a different situation. You know, I don't know. I got COVID once the first year, 2020. I got COVID last year, this year, 2021. I'm assuming I got the Delta variant this way around. Anybody fucking know? I don't know. You no, know, the, the antigen test just comes back. Yes. You know, like, hey, I feel like shit that, you know, there's one line here, which either means I'm positive for COVID or I'm pregnant, depending on which test I'm using. Doesn't say D for Delta, you know, or anything like that. I'm assuming I got the Delta variant. Whatever. Life goes on. You know, 2022, maybe I'll get the Omicron variant. I don't know. Will I get a, you know, vaccine booster? Probably not. You know, I, mean, I might just try to tough it out and deal with it. I think they say with these things that are endemic that they get less uh, deadly but more transmissible. I think that is the uh, – and there's been some very interesting – if you watch Dr. Chris Martinson on Peak Prosperity – He's done some very interesting interviews. Uh, the one guy's name is Geert. Uh, let me look it up. Fucking what? Geert, Geert Vandenbosch. Uh, if you look up his interview on Chris Martinson's Peak Prosperity, he does a great job laying out a case for why the vaccines may actually be encouraging variants. Uh, though, of course, I haven't independently vetted his claims. Uh, one, because I'm not a doctor, and B, because I'm lazy. Thank you. All right, so moving on. Now we've got the fucking Omicron variant. This, of course, shocked the markets. Uh, you know, late in November, I wrote a piece called uh, Two Reasons the Market Could Collapse Heading into the Holidays, basically where I laid out the case that it could collapse because I think Powell is going to go try to go through with the taper. 
I think he has to. You know, I think the taper is definitely on its way at this point. And, uh, and I think a lot of the shakiness in markets lately has kind of shown a little bit of an idea of a rotation from growth to value. And so, you know, I think Powell has been under pressure, uh, I wrote, and will continue to be under pressure during his second term. Uh, not only is he going to have to face politicians from the right who want to drum up fear about, you know, the inflation problem, which is very real and out of control at this point, he's going to have to face other types of criticism from people on the left uh, that thinks he's not, you know, whatever, addressing fucking climate change or whatever social issue is popular this week enough. So, uh, you know, either way, I think Powell is going to have to try to stick the landing on the taper, which is going to result in, as I wrote here, some, quote, serious shit for equity markets, quote. And that is the wonderful analysis you're missing if you don't subscribe to my Substack. But the gist is that, you know, he's going to have to try to taper. He doesn't have an option. And he came out in December. I think it was December 1st or November 30th. Uh, You know, he came out in front of a Senate panel and basically said, Powell did, and basically said it's a good time to retire the word transitory when describing inflation, which, you know, to me is a, that's a surrender. You know, on December 1st, my article was called The Fed Admits It Has Lost Control. And that's really it. I mean, if you're sitting in front of Congress and you say it's time to retire transitory, when really all this fucking guy has been doing for months has been leaning on the idea that inflation is transitory. And it's not just him. It's yelling in the whole fucking merry band of brothers. All they have done is relied on the lie that the inflation is transitory. And fed that to everybody. Even Paul Krugman bought it. You know, on October 13th, Paul Krugman tweeted, three-month core inflation. Why isn't everyone calling this a win for Team Transitory with his little chart of fucking three-month core inflation, you know, going up and then coming down? And it's like, well, Paul, you may want to talk to Jerome Powell about that because even he, uh, the head of Mr. Team Transitory, just came out and said, transitory isn't a thing anymore. So, you know, I don't know what Paul Krugman needs to do, but maybe he needs to check the receipt from the last time he went grocery shopping. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know if there's any way to get through to people that think that we are heading in the right direction by doing all this nonsense, but that's a different story that we have to employ probably psychological experts to try to figure out. The point is, I mean, this was an admission of losing control, right? Because Powell essentially admitted he's stuck between a rock, as I wrote, which is basically brutal, unrelenting consumer inflation, and the hard place of the inability to raise rates or taper without fuck-tangling the entire economy and capital markets. And that's really it, right? So now Powell's sitting up there saying, yes, inflation's a problem. No, it's not transitory. And by the way, what do I do next? And this goes back to what I wrote in late November. He's going to have to try to do something to deal with inflation. And that should scare the fuck out of the markets. And I think that, you know, Powell's hawkishness is really what is driving the volatility in markets over the last two weeks. I mean, people, I think there was one day where the uncertainty about the Omicron variant contributed to it. But I wrote an article, I think on December 3rd, called It's the Taper, Stupid. And the point of the article is, you know, the volatility is not coming from the Omicron variant. You know, we've already had whatever official in South Africa come out and say it's not it's not deadlier. Okay, fine. Life goes on. So what is the market all riled up about? And then you get all these dumbass fucking 
investment banks saying, yeah, go ahead. It's risk on, bid it up. Omicron's not an issue. It's like, did you guys forget? Powell hasn't even changed his tune yet about wanting to taper. Now, he might. It, would it surprise anybody if Powell came out, you know, in a couple of fucking days or weeks and said, well, we're reconsidering the taper, you know, or we're reconsidering accelerating the taper or rate hikes or whatever. No, of course, that's what they do. You know, when you double speak for a living and you backhandedly lie to people, these are the types of end arounds that you have to make. But for now, it looks as though the taper is on. And what I wrote was that Powell doesn't need to come out and reaffirm it every week. He just needs to say nothing. Because right now, you know, Fed minutes are like a layered series of precedents, right? So the, whatever the last official statement they had is what stands as the gospel at this point. And that was, hey, we're, you know, and a lot of Fed governors and Fed presidents have said this. It's worth looking at accelerating the taper. It's worth looking at rate hikes. Uh, you know, rate hikes are probably going to happen in 2022. So I think that's a reality that the market is going to have to deal with. And I wrote that I think that the market is going to deal with it by selling off growth stocks, uh, also known as dog shit uh, in the current market, which is a financial term. I learned that during my accounting and executive education classes at Wharton. I didn't learn that there, but they did give me a t-shirt and a Wharton coffee mug. I want to credit my buddy Kubiko on Twitter, at K-E-U-B-I-K-O, one of the smartest people I know, one of the nicest people I've met since I've been involved in markets, for giving me the idea to kind of uh, take a look at the Russell and the dog shit contained therein. Uh, if I was thinking about hedging uh, against a market plunge, I would want to be short things like the Russell uh, because it is disproportionately littered with companies that uh, are non-profitable. And not only that, but as an added bonus, have been blown up to astronomical valuations. Uh, it's very similar with ARK, uh, you know, ARKK, which is, the, of course, the ARK Innovation Fund run by the visionary Kathy Wood. Um, you know, I think those things will get disproportionately clobbered on the way down. And actually, if you look at the action that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, you see a lot of blue chip consumer staples, names that I love for the long term. I wrote about them uh, last week. Disney, I love. Intel, I love. Uh, Walmart, I love. Uh, what else is in there? There's one of Johnson & Johnson, I love. Uh, Lockheed Martin, I love, uh, all names that I like going forward for the very long term. And what I noticed was those stocks were bid on the days that we had market volatility. Meanwhile, names like AMC and the IWM, which is the Russell ETF and ARKK, which is Kathy Wood's, uh, bag of wonderful treats, uh, were all getting decimated. Uh, and so that to me looked as though it could be some kind of you know, growth to value rotation. Um, and I wrote about this somewhere, not in the uh, fucking thing I have open right in front of me. So what do you think about that? Let me find out where I wrote about it. Come on, dickhead. Get it together. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Where is it? U.S. economy. Uh, finance. Stocks. I can't find the fucking thing. God damn it. Oh, here it is. Found it. Okay. So 
This uh, is where I first wrote about what I think is going to be the rotation from growth to value. Another thing I noticed in yesterday's trading was that several of my value stocks were rising while the overall market seemed to be plunging. Uh, to me, this looks like the rotation from growth to value that I have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, further evidencing a potential rotation was a move out of non-profitable tech companies yesterday, and there is a non-profitable tech index that you can follow. And actually, my kind friends over at Zero Hedge pointed out late in the day uh, that they were getting smacked. This is all the way back in November, but those stocks were getting smacked disproportionately during the sell-off. We all know the ARK Innovation Fund, by the way, is lagging the S&P by like 30% or 35% right now. That it's just getting absolutely killed. And I wrote, make no mistake about it, a rotation into Dow components and profitable companies from tech garbage would catalyze a sharp move lower for overall markets. Most of the leverage, unsophisticated investors, and super speculative companies in the market reside in tech. There are still huge bubbles in meme favorites like AMC and GMs, uh, GME, among others, that need to have the air let out of them. Crypto remains a multi-trillion dollar air pocket. If the market decides, starts valuing blue chip names like this uh, in favor and, you know, kind of drifting away from AMC and, you know, Tesla at a $1 trillion market cap, uh, look out below because I think that rotation trade could be filthy nasty. I think there'll be some opportunity. I think overall the markets will come down. You'll see, you know, value once again start to fall into favor. I'm sure those stocks may net net wind up coming down, but that could be where the uh, where a lot of the capital winds up rotating to. Um, <clears throat> but I think a lot of speculative investors will get absolutely demolished in a move like that because there is so much froth. Right now, you have all of the AMC, you know, the meme names that are just trading absolutely insane. You know, you could argue that GME is trading at, you know, 50 times where it should really be trading, which is where it was before it was arguably manipulated higher, right, in a squeeze. And so what's fair value for AMC? Is it still a dollar? The market seemed to think it was worth a dollar a share, you know, just a year and a half ago before all this bullshit happened. But I think nobody will experience uh, a thrashing quite like Kathy Wood will. Um, I'm, you know, look, Wood, I think, has found so much success that I think she's going to personally be a success no matter what happens. But I think ARC could get bruised pretty badly if we have a serious market pullback. Um, and I wrote about that in an article called Kathy Wood's Sweet Superficial Success, um, which is on my blog, Fringe Finance. Um, we're basically, you know, I made the argument that, look, if you want to live by the bullshit growth narrative sword, you got to die by the bullshit growth narrative sword. And, uh, you know, look, here's what I pointed out in that article, and here's what I continue to point out on Twitter and in other articles, which is this ARK, A-R-K-K, which is her flagship innovation fund, okay? Right now, I think the top weightings of this fund, Tesla, Coinbase, uh, Unity Software, Teladoc, Roku, uh, Zoom's in there, Shopify, Spotify, Square, uh, Exact Sciences is in there, um, names like Palantir, Twitter I think is in there also. You know, this ETF saw a disproportionate uh, run over the last two or three years. And that's what made, really has what has made Kathy Wood a star. 
Um, and that has been the product of Tesla kind of mysteriously going up 15x uh, since December 2019. A mystery that I would still like some answers to, but I digress. Um, and also general froth that has caused a bunch of non-profitable bullshit names uh, that exist solely on narrative. You know, Wood uses thematic investing, I think Chris DeMuth uh, said in my interview with him the other day. All of that has led to her success, and I think ultimately that will lead to her demise and lead to the demise of ARK, A-R-K-K. I think, you know, we can expect A-R-K-K well lower in the double digits uh, if we do see a real market sell-off. The interesting thing is if you want to know how bad of a stock picker Kathy Wood has been, uh, you know, putting aside the fact that ARK is, I think, only down like 10% this year as of right now, Putting that aside, and you know the S and P and Nasdaq, I think, are up twenty to twenty-five percent. So that's a thirty to thirty-five percent delta between her performance and you know putting money into a fucking index fund and just leaving it there, uh, which in and of itself, you know, is an interesting, fun little tidbit, fun little fact. But when you consider the fact that Tesla, I think, is up something like fifty percent over the same period, and that is the biggest weighting in her ARKK. Uh, according to this document I pulled in late November, 10%, I think, has consistently sat around a 10% weighting in the ARKK fund. Uh, and it has still gone down, I think, about uh, 10% this year, despite the fact that its top weighting is up 50% this year. Now, what does that tell you about the rest of the shit that has been piled into this ETF? It goes to show you that, like, you know, this is like when I put in a fucking, like, six-team parlay in NFL, and I get all of them wrong. You start thinking to yourself, like, how could I have been wrong on all of them? It's almost like it would have been better if I wasn't thinking at all. Or it seems like I wasn't thinking at all. The results are certainly telling me that, you know, whatever analysis I've used here to arrive at picking these six teams uh, has been faulty and defective. Um, And so Wood is experiencing the same type of faultiness and defectiveness with the other picks in her ARKK ETF. And that is why it has vastly underperformed. Now, what else is important here? And this is a key piece that I just wrote about yesterday or two days ago um, that isn't going to be a rehash of something I wrote in November. So if you're bored with that, uh, here's a key point. Assuming there is no floor for many of these names or that the floor is way lower, which is what you would assume mostly for quote unquote visionary companies that don't generate a lot of cash, uh, you want to, you know, you assume the floor is much lower still, even after this, you know, major quote unquote 5% or 10% drawdown or whatever. Uh, assuming that Tesla is the only string that this. ARK fund is holding on. And meanwhile, Elon Musk just sprayed $10 billion worth of stock out to the market over the last month. And, you know, arguably, one could, if they wanted to, make the uh, make the case that in a snapback to reality for the markets, that Tesla may have the furthest way to go uh, out of all of her names. Because at a trillion-dollar market cap, uh, I'm not sure that Tesla is. And I think even Wood said today, you know, there's a 50-50 chance of their autonomous plans working. It's like, wow, that doesn't really seem like that much. 
I don't know. Call me crazy for somebody with a 10% weighting in it, with a stock that's trading at a gazillion times sales and a PE of gazillion because, you know, ostensibly everybody is buying because of the future prospects, the robo taxis, the neural net, the autonomous driving. They're a leader in all of these buzzwords. Think of a buzzword and they're the leader in it. AI, buzzword, leader, you know, or they claim to be the leader in it. But that is ostensibly where the bid under this stock has come from, right? The fact that it's going to be this, you know, incredible spearhead to some technological revolution that's going to last for the next thousand years and they're going to colonize Mars and all this happy horse shit. But you got to think, you know, if that doesn't happen, well, this stock has been priced to perfection either from legitimate bids or from other things, uh, you know, which I won't speculate about. Regardless, the valuation is ridiculous. So, you know, what happens if Tesla experiences, eh, let's just say a 25% pullback, which would put it at a $750 billion market cap, which some would still argue is absolutely insane. They have all these liabilities kind of hanging out there now. You know, you have all these serious EV competitors globally now that are jostling with them for market share. This wasn't like when they were the new kid on the block and they could just, you know, break into EVs and just be the leader automatically. China is replete with EV companies. The U.S. is replete with EV companies. Plus, you have all the legacy automakers still valued like traditional automakers, by the way, you know, at like 15 or 10 times earnings all in the EV space. So there's got to be some reversion to the mean there, not only in how these companies are valued, either you know GM has to go up and Tesla has to come down for them to meet in the middle or whatever. Um, <clears throat> because trust me, there's, there's nothing that you know Tesla can do that GM is not going to be able to do in 10 years uh, or five years even. Uh, you know, I just don't see them uh, innovating that much. Regardless... There will be some reversion to the mean in the stock price, and I think there will also be some uh, reversion to the mean as it comes to market share. And so that is a risk for Tesla, too. Plus, you have, you know, key man risk with Elon Musk, who, of course, remains a wild card. You have an ongoing NHTSA investigation into autonomous driving. At some point, somebody's going to have to come out and say, hey, this fucking thing doesn't work, and they're not allowed to use it anymore. I mean, it's that simple. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see week after week after week of dead person, car accident, you know, emergency vehicle getting hit on the highway. I saw a fucking thing like last week of some Tesla driving down a freeway in like Abu Dhabi somewhere doing like 100 miles an hour, just hitting a camel at full speed. Camel just galloping down the freeway, you know, just trying to get to the rest stop or wherever the camel was going. And I guess the Tesla may have been on autopilot and didn't realize it and just fucking hits this camel. And the thing goes flying into the air, you know, flips around a million times, a flop, and the Tesla goes fucking veering off the road. You know, you're just going to see incidents like that continue until somebody puts their foot down and says, you can't beta test this shit on public roads. And that will then belie another question, which is how many FSD packages have you sold to people under the guise that it's going to work by a certain time period? Because then that becomes an issue for the Federal Trade Commission. And then you have kind of this like nice flywheel that starts to spin up of reality, uh, of which I think Tesla is long overdue for a dose for. And uh, in the balance will hang Kathy Wood's ARC fund. Uh, you know, if she was smart, she would just get out of Tesla. She would just get out at this point or significantly reduce it to like a 2% weighting in her ETF. 
You know, you don't. There's nothing about like kissing Elon Musk's ass that requires you to keep this thing at a 10% weighting. You could kiss his ass with the stock at a 1% weighting. You could kiss his ass with a stock at a 50 basis point weighting. You know, so you know, for a fund that's actively managed to see something go up 30x in the course of. I don't know, fucking two years or three years. Fuck me. Take some off the table. You know, just relax like you've made it. You know, it should be a time to steady the ship and remind investors, hey, look, maybe we had a little drawdown this year, but at least the fund isn't going to collapse. But right now, Tesla is that only string that the fund is hanging on. And I think that that's going to be important to watch as we move forward. So what else have I written about this month? I talked about, uh, you know, Bitcoin and how leading into this past weekend, Bitcoin, of course, crashed 20%. It plumbed lows near $42,000, I think, uh, last Friday going into Saturday. Uh, And I think it was at like 68,000 at the beginning of November. Now, what is the point here before all you Bitcoin people start getting fucking pissed off, right? The point is just, it's not a good store of value. That's the point, okay? Can we just put away the store of value argument? You can't have a 20% move in the course of an hour and claim that it's a good store of value. That means somebody is gaining 20% and the counterparty is losing 20%. End of story. You know, so if you're trying to preserve your wealth, maybe Bitcoin isn't the best way to do it. Um, So can we just do away with that argument? I don't even want to argue this, you know, the whole Bitcoin thing with you right now because I'm just fucking like tired of it. Uh, You know, if you are interested in watching all possible logical fallacies when arguing about Bitcoin uh, in play at once, I would encourage you to read my analysis of uh, Peter Schiff versus Alex Alex Mashinsky, which was a debate that took place in late October. Um, If you look at my blog The article is called Bitcoin, One Hubris-Laden Interview Closer to a Day of Reckoning. And it is an analysis of a debate between Schiff and Alex Mashinsky that Kitco uh, did. And, uh, you know, really, Alex Mashinsky runs the gamut of terrible uh, logical fallacies to defend Bitcoin, right? Not the least of which were some just blatantly false claims that he made. You know, he claimed at one point during this interview that Bitcoin paid a yield, right? Which it does on his platform. But intrinsically, Bitcoin doesn't pay a yield because it doesn't generate any cash. So there's no way for it to pay a yield. It can't finance a yield itself out of nowhere. Something has to happen from somebody in order to pay what would otherwise be a yield for the Bitcoin that you already have. And Schiff called him out on this interview. Mashinsky is the CEO of Celsius Network, by the way. Schiff called him out on this interview and said, well, what are you guys doing? Are you trading the Bitcoin? Like, how are you paying for the yield? And he didn't really answer it. And I thought the idea of him coming out and saying, oh, it pays a yield is disingenuous because there were a lot of unsophisticated investors, a lot of people that get it, like myself, that this guy's full of shit and that money has to come from fucking somewhere, right? But there were a lot of people watching this that think, oh yeah, well, it does pay a yield. Maybe they're first timers. You know, look, there's a lot of unsophisticated people in the crypto space and there's a lot of very smart people. But I think to listen to a guy make arguments like that, you have to wonder, you know, are the fundamental arguments not there for him to lean on that he just has to come out and lie and say that this, you know, somehow pays some type of risk-free yield? That's fucking ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. What I wrote in my blog was, of course, what Mashinsky meant 
was that they pay a yield on his Celsius platform, but he failed to qualify his statements to make that clear. Neither asset pays a yield in general, and Mashinsky knows that, because I think he also claimed gold pays a yield and said that it paid a yield on his platform. You know, guys just, I would not get involved with this guy, but that's just me. You know, nothing about this interview makes me want to fucking do any kind of business with this guy in general, but just my personal opinion. As Peter noted, the capital to pay a yield has to come from somewhere. In dividend-paying companies, it comes from their retained earnings. Bitcoin and gold don't earn anything on their own, so there's nowhere to draw yield from to pay yield. There's nowhere to draw from to pay yield, let alone an astronomical 5% yield that Mashinsky claims during his debate. When Mashinsky claims this, Peter hones in on the fallacy and immediately asks him repeatedly where the yield comes from. Mashinsky has no answer. Peter then takes a guess and asks if Celsius trades the crypto in order to come up with the proceeds to be able to pay the yield, but Mashinsky never gives him a clear answer. And I write, this is an extremely dangerous thing to suggest by Mashinsky without explaining in full, and I think even Bitcoin bulls can understand why this is dangerous. And hopefully there are, I've met a lot of sensible Bitcoin bulls, and hopefully those people would uh, agree with me. And, you know, the whole interview was funny. Mashinsky spends a lot of it trying to juxtapose Bitcoin and gold, uh, sometimes on purpose, calling it digital gold. And other times, like, incidentally, he says, you know, this, this is the gold standard. It's like... Why the fuck do you think they call it the gold standard? <laughs> you ever like catch that people use that expression around Bitcoin? Like Bitcoin is the gold standard. It's like, no, if it was the gold standard, it would be gold because gold is the standard, which is why you called it the gold standard. Fucking put that in your pipe and smoke it. So anyways, that, that was that. You can read the rest of my scathing criticisms uh, in that article. I'm not going to go through all of them. You know, and that pretty much brings us up to date with where we are now. And I think where we're heading now is we are, like I said, Powell is going to attempt to stick the landing on this taper. So that is going to come with consequence. Um, It's going to come with consequence once he again makes it clear. I think there's probably part of the market that doesn't expect him to try and follow through with it because really they have been such cowards in the past. So maybe the market has discounted that a little bit. But I think that once it becomes clear again that he is going to go ahead with the taper, going to try to go ahead with the taper, I think the market has no choice but to react negatively. You know, I said to Jack Perugin last week, tapers crash markets. And that's it. And you can't get around it. You know, you absolutely just can't get around it. When when the punch bowl starts to dry up, it becomes a race to the exit and nobody wants to be the last to leave. And I think that we can expect that. Um, and I think that, to be honest with you, Powell is going to have to follow through. I think that things have gone so well for the stock market over the last 18 months that the Fed really has no choice but to follow through. Because think about it. You know, if the NASDAQ gets clipped, uh, you know, 40% as a result of a taper, uh, it's still probably like, you know, up 50% from where it was off the March 2020 lows. So it's like, how the fuck do you even argue against it at this point? You know, we've gotten way too far extended, way too far out ahead of ourselves. Um, and my friend Rosemont Seneca has written about this saying, look, we're at the precipice of a 1999 to 2000 tech bubble crash again, meaning the market has really overextended itself, right? The QE is there. The support from the Fed has been there. We get it. COVID's starting to go away. Jobs are returning. 
you know, animal spirits are being drummed up again, whatever bullshit excuse you want to call it for people buying dog shit at overpriced prices, the Santa Claus rally, whatever. But the point is that we really have overextended ourselves. We've overextended our stay here. And, uh, and it's funny because I think the taper will bring us back and rate hikes will crash the market, but I think the market will return to levels that are still 20, 30, 40% higher than they were off the March 2020 lows. Um, and I think, you know, we will completely lose perspective as we always do. Uh, you know, every time the market pulls back 5%, we get uh, financial news anchors clamoring for us to close the markets and people freaking out. It's really, it's, you know, if you got problems like I do, it's fun to kind of watch. I mean, it's sad because you know good people and unsophisticated investors are losing money, but it is funny to watch people who, you know, you have been calling out for a while that you know are full of shit kind of have to eat their own, uh, you know, eat their own cooking. Wood, Kathy Wood's an example of this, right? You know, I say live by the bullshit sword, die by the bullshit sword. It means that, you know, when dog shit goes up in a bull market, you, you know, you don't just need an excuse for when your arc goes down. You need it for when it goes up. People are like, why are these fucking like pre-revenue, non-cash generating companies going up? And she's got to go on CNBC and make up some stupid answer. You know, like, oh, it's the innovative, you know, theory of political and technological axioms. Oh, it's this, it's that, it's the other. I have a vision that no one else has. It's like, all right, fine. You know, but you're going to have to turn around and point back to that vision when this dog shit fucking gets taken out to uh, to see where it belongs and, and eventually washes away. So, you know, you can live by the claim that value investing is dead and growth is the new value and all that shit. But at some point, you're going to have to come back and face that music. And I think, you know, that's the one thing that I'll like about the taper and rate hikes is there will be a lot of people that will be held accountable for a lot of the bullshit they've said over the last couple of years, some of them knowingly and some of them unknowingly. Um, you know, again, it'll, it's always sad to see unsophisticated investors and people that don't deserve it lose money. But that's why I try to have a voice and try to at least bring some kind of counter argument and, and perspective from the other side so that people can at least hear it. Because it's certainly it's not in the financial news. It's not in the financial media, which is why I started a fucking podcast to begin with. Not because I want to be Mr. Finance Guy. Um, you know, I think that things have gotten so far extended that, you know, the taper is coming. I think if the Fed says nothing else in December, or if they reiterate what they've already said, I don't think they need to say anything else. I think they just need to send the signal that they haven't moved from Powell's last statements. I think that we will continue to see a market sell-off heading into the end of the year this year. Again, not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. I hold no licenses. I don't even own a fucking button-down shirt or a tie anymore. Seriously. I just moved, you know, like, I don't know, a couple months ago, and I just got rid of it all. I'm like, I just don't want it. I don't want to wear a fucking suit, you know, like, whatever. I, I just, I'm not doing it. Funerals, things like that, man, I'll just wear a nice, like, turtleneck or something. But I just, I'm not a tie guy. I don't, I hate it. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Don't listen to my advice is what I was saying. Having said that, I think that the Fed has really lost control. 
I think they are backed into a corner here. I think the volatility in Bitcoin is not a coincidence. I think it will continue because it is a a risk asset and it trades like one. So I think those risk assets like the IWM, the Russell 2000, the meme stocks, I think those will be the first wave of bilge to come in. Uh, You know, I do think that a rise in rates and a taper will smack the shit out of the markets. And I think if the Fed doesn't pivot, I think they, the next like official set of minutes comes out next week. I think if they don't pivot, I think you can expect a 2018 style pullback in the markets heading into 2022. And I never make like bold macro predictions like that. I always just say, hey, you know, the market could go up, it could go down. But now the Fed has kind of made its intent known. So I feel like, all right, now I got something I can actually like cling to. As long as Powell doesn't change his stance, I think that this recent pop over the last couple of days has been a little bit of a bear market rally. And I expect us to go back to the lows that we were at a week or two ago. And I think probably move lower than them. I think there is a lot of uh, room on the way down. And they say the markets take the stairs up and the elevator down. And I think that will be the case. Having said that, you know, I think where we will wind up will still be uh, in the green for people that invested at the lows in March of 2020. But I do think there needs to be some malinvestment that needs to be corrected. There's some people that need to be taken to task. There are some people that need to be held accountable. And I think personally, the Russell Index, the meme stocks, uh, crypto names, names that have gone you know, up on crypto, uh, you know, speculation related to crypto, uh, anything that's trendy. Uh, again, I hate to keep bringing up all the ARC components, but like a lot of thematic investing there. I think those will all wind up coming back disproportionately. Uh, and the names that I want to personally be looking at in these pullbacks are your high qualities, you know, are going to be here in another 100 years, have been here for 100 years already, your Johnson & Johnsons, your Lockheed Martins, especially now too, with the geopolitical climate globally between the U.S. and China. You got the whole fucking Taiwan thing. You got Russia and Ukraine. Uh, You know, defense stocks, literally, uh, they're defensive stocks and they are in the defense industry uh, would be names that I would kind of look at. And Lockheed, I think, has traded sideways for the better part of a couple of years. I think it's relatively cheap. Uh, I wrote an article about that, uh, you know, a month or two ago. You could check that out on my blog. Um, but those are the kind of names that I think will wind up catching a bid or will be uh, disproportionately spared from a market pullback. So that's what I'm looking at heading into uh, December. I will be back next week to get in another podcast because despite a November where I didn't do much this month, I feel like I'm going to be productive. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for your continued patronage. Those of you that are patrons of the podcast, supporting me, follow me on Twitter. Thank you so much. Uh, And one more time, my blog is Fringe Finance. I write almost daily on that blog. The link is in my podcast description if you'd like to check it out. And if not, that's cool too. But for right now, folks, I am out of here. Thank you so much. Peace.